0: cannot take things out of context of Scripture and create a doctrine around it that would cause people to be led astray. While I was preparing this message, um, after, after many, many, and my wife will tell you this, after many, many hours and struggling many, many times trying to figure out how I was going to be able to adequately cover all of this area that I needed to cover, I found out real fast that there's no way that I was going to be able to cover this in a 45-minute session on a, on a Wednesday night or on any night that I would be teaching. So I understand that there's nothing that I can do. To, I just cannot cover everything. So I had to decide, you know, what am I going to do? And I felt like I needed to take one of the biggest areas in which the, the, this movement that's going around now, this movement that's moving around throughout the world, not just here in America, but throughout the world, that's beginning to distort things in the Word of God. And so I decided that I would take the main subject of which everything branches from that, okay, it begins to branch from that, and bring that to us tonight, okay, so that we could have a better understanding of what's going on. Now, the title of my message is very simple. I was going to give it a fancy name, but there's no reason for a fancy name if you get get the point of what I'm trying to say with the title of the message. The title tonight is The Misunderstanding of Grace. We all have heard grace taught for years, even to the point that we don't even teach grace much anymore. I don't know when the last time that I heard a message where somebody actually got up and taught on grace because everybody seems, and I will put seems there, seems to know what grace is. Grace is, if I were to ask all of you, and I'll ask you out there in, in in the Internet land and in the world, what is grace? If I ask that, I'm sure I'm going to get this loud response that says, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Okay. What does that mean? It sounds great. Praise God. Because of the grace of God, I have an unmerited favor of God. What does that get you? What is that... that grace all that it gets to. I know what happens is, is because we talk about the unmerited favor of God, and when we try to teach people grace, if you try to teach a person grace, we, we, we don't teach it that much anymore if we teach it at all in most of our mainline churches. So I, I know where this um, misunderstanding of grace came from. I'm sure it came out of a frustration the same frustration that me is when I was pastoring, and even while I'm here, and many of you would struggle with this same thing and probably have asked yourself so many, many times, why is it that when people give their heart to the Lord, they come, they accept Jesus Christ, and before we know it, before the, before the words that they say, I confess Jesus Christ, they've lost out and they've, and they've gone and gone back into the world again. And we ask ourselves, pastors have asked ourselves for years, why, 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 why can't we keep people who give their heart to the Lord? Why don't they stay here? Why don't they, be, why don't they stay involved in the church? Why don't they keep the, their lives straight? Why, why is it this thing happening? And a frustration goes out. The reason why people can't get saved is they don't realize what just happened to them. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand what they received when they accepted Jesus Christ. And they don't understand the surety that they have in Jesus Christ which is grace, okay? We do not get anything from God that we deserve. Nothing. His blessings, we do not deserve. His forgiveness, we do not deserve. The promises that He's made for us, we're undeserving. There's nothing that we can do to deserve what Jesus paid for on the, on the cross to be able to give us, okay? Okay? I feel like a lot of people, because of that, people who get saved, the first thing they realize they're just a babe now, right? They're just a babe in Christ. And the devil wants to destroy it as quickly as he can. So all of a sudden they sin right after they accept Jesus Christ. The next day they go back and do something that they used to do all the time. And the devil says, Ha, ha, ha you thought you changed. You haven't changed. You're doing the same thing that you did before. The thing is... They're just a babe in Christ. They're just learning. And all of a sudden, they feel this guilt. They don't know what to do with this guilt. And the fact is, is what we call guilt is really a condemnation. And condemnation comes from from Satan. It doesn't come from the Lord. The Holy Spirit does not condemn us. He convicts us. I call them the two C words. Condemnation and conviction. I've talked about this before briefly. But basically quickly how you understand the difference if you want to know whether or not you're being condemned by satan or convicted by the holy spirit it's pretty simple to figure out if one makes you feel guilty makes you want to run from god makes you want to step away from the relationship that you had with god that's condemnation that's the guilt that that satan has placed on you if you have a conviction from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will woo you and want to draw you from, want you to forgive, be, be, you know, for, you know, ask for forgiveness, repentance, and draws you closer and causes you back to Jesus Christ. Okay? So one pushes you away from God, the other one draws you to Him. So there are two different forces that are working, but one of them is coming from the Spirit, one of them is coming from Satan. Well, I believe that because so many people have struggled with the Lord, because of this feeling, like they're not living up to what Jesus requires of them, this guilt this condemnation, which is coming not coming from God but from Satan, has caused them to lose out. And I believe that, that through all of this, people are trying to find a way to make it easier for people to stay saved. Okay, I wish there was a I wish there was a special pill that when everybody came, that. The, they said, I accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Good, open your mouth, drop the pill in. Now you are worthy and you will feel worthy, okay? But Satan wants us to feel worthless. We're, you know, We're not worthy of anything, right? But grace says that we are made worthy and trying to get that message across. So what has, what has been brewing out of this over the last few years and it's beginning to grow more and more, and the reason that I'm speaking to you about it tonight is it's getting close to home when I have people, friends of mine, that were teachers of the Word for years, lived close to God, taught in classes, were leadership in churches, that have bought in to this misunderstanding of grace, and now has opened that door, and now has been flooded with all kinds of things that are wrong, and sin in their lives, and accepting those because of grace okay so this movement that's moving around it's, it's the new movement if you want to call it new the new grace movement some people call it the, the, the grace revolution some people call it the Grace revelation other people call it uh, whatever they want to call it right but this new grave, grave uh, this new grace movement has emphasized grace and disregarded the teachings of the Old Testament and even the four Gospels. Because this movement believes that the Old Testament was the legalistic side of, of, of God, and grace is that freedom from that law that was there. We know that God said the law is now written upon our hearts. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But the fact is, they disregard that, and they say that the teachings of Christ during His life was teachings under the old law so therefore not relevant to grace i'm sorry but jesus christ when he lived he was in a transition between the old covenant and was ushering in a new covenant that was something new when jesus was on earth he was beginning to try to train he was Transitioning the Jewish nation from relying on priests and physical sacrifices into a new grace period that was coming that was going to get rid of the old sacrifices and establish a new one with Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. Okay? So when you start saying, I can't take the Old Testament and I can't take the Gospels, then how... Am I going to be able to defend my grace principles? So what I've done, other than talking just a moment, a few minutes, about one one set of scriptures in John, uh, talking about Jesus in John chapter 1, other than that, I'm going to try to stay out of the Old Testament that they don't accept, and I'm going to try to stay out of the Gospels, and use more of what they want to deal with, which we'll talk about in the Pauline scriptures and Peter, John, and, and those that wrote after the Gospels, okay? So, their teaching is, like I said, this law of things that Jesus taught, okay? Now, this is the big one that I want to cover. There's a lot of things that they cover, but all of it is going to branch from this. The main teaching that they have, that they springboard every other Thing from it, from, uh, from the every belief system on this grace part, springboards off of the teaching that all sin, all sin, past, present, and future, are forgiven when you accept Jesus Christ, okay? Now, how many of you would agree with me out there, and you, if you are sitting here, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin, Would you agree with me? Okay, if Jesus died for all sin, what they're saying is if he died for all sin and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, he just cleansed you from all of your sins, past, present, and any sin that you would commit going forward. I said, okay. (laughs) Well, you've got to look at it if christ so there's no need then to teach on sin there's no need to preach repentance because if everything is forgiven no matter what you do doesn't matter and there's no need to repent so it makes it a feel good religion based on this because everybody can come to church praise God, lift up holy hands, whatever they want to call it, and then go out and do what they want to do later. Because why? Sin has already been paid for. So I say, okay, well, if sins have already been forgiven by God, it looks like they're holy and righteous, whatever, then why not continue in sin so we don't have anything of separation? So, before you even get into Scripture, you have to think of this. You have to go back to the very beginning, the very first command. The very first command that God gave to man. Do not partake of that tree of knowledge of evil, good and evil, right? One rule. Don't do that. All God, from the very beginning... Since creation, the only thing that God has ever wanted man to do was be obedient to his word. Okay? To be obedient to his word. Now, I believe that they they also believe that it's, it's wrong to base your forgiveness on your forgiveness for others. Like in the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, I will be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, whatever. And forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, whose prayer was that? That was the Lord's prayer. He said, when you pray, pray this way. Now, he says, as I forgive... As you, as you forgive, I will forgive, okay? And he goes on down in, I think it's verse 14, 15, and he even comes back and says it again, says, if you don't forgive your brother, neither will I forgive you. Now, my wife says very, says that was one thing that she learned very early in Christianity, that if she didn't forgive somebody, she was never going to make it, Okay? So that's what we call the law of forgiveness. It is a law. God says, if you don't forgive, neither will I forgive. But these people say, no, you can't base it. As a matter of fact, they say that you have gone way too far if you have prayed this prayer, because you have deep. You are deeply misunderstanding God's grace. No, my friend, you are mis- <laughs> You are misunderstanding what God says. We're not misunderstanding because your teaching is. Your thoughts, not God's word. We have to stand, Pastor. Goodluck has always said right here, if you don't have a scripture to back it, then don't, don't, you know, don't come talk to me about it, right? So, a lot of people, I, I have, I use the word, and I don't know where the, I don't know if anybody else has picked it up, but I call this the hyper grace movement. Okay, I think it's called hyper grace. They got, they got, they, I call it grace on steroids. Okay, but much of what is taught in the grace, in the grace word, though, the thing about it is. So much of it is true. That's the problem. A lot of the teaching in the grace, hyper-grace movement is exactly what we need to be taught. And that is that God is gracious. God is forgiving. God is loving. And God does want us to live right. God wants to forgive us. He wants us to come to Him and ask for forgiveness. Yes, that is great and it is the teaching. But you can't stretch grace or take grace in its box and take it to mean something else. You can't stretch it beyond that which, it, which is supposed to be meant. Much of it which just taught, even as good as it is, it, it, like the exceedingly abundant and free for the believer. They teach it. Grace is marvelous. It's abundant. Matter of fact, it's exceeding, exceedingly abundant and free to the believer. That's true. It is. First Timothy 1:14 says, And by grace, and, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Okay? Okay, that's fine. However, hypergrace teaching is out of proportion to the rest of Scripture. Anytime one doctrine emphasizes to the exclusion of the rest of Scripture, We fall into error because we fail to correctly handle the word as we are told to do in 2 Timothy 2.15 where it says, and he rightly dividing the word of what? Truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The problem lies in taking and stretching grace to mean more than it was ever intended to mean. When we stretch it to more than it was intended to mean. Many teachers and pastors today are grabbing hold to this so-called new revelation of God. I get very concerned and very skeptical when I hear hear someone, someone gets a new revelation. I'm not saying that God doesn't give revelation. Yes, He does. He gives revelation of His Scripture, right? But a new revelation should not go contrary to other Scriptures in the Word, Many new revelations are pulled out of context, which means it creates an error, and errors to Scripture cause false doctrines, and through them people are led astray from the truth of God's Word. Grace is a wonderful, blessed gift of God, freely given to us. Now, I want to give a Scripture of where they pull this past, you're going to say, okay, we've done things about past, present, future. Let's see, where do they get it from? So turn away, Hebrews 8. Kathy, we'll be getting started on these now. Okay? Hebrews 8:12. This This is the whole basic uh, scripture from uh, pull from uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 34, the whole passage there that we're seeing here in Hebrews. But I don't want to use Jeremiah because that's the Old Testament. Okay? And I don't want to use the gospel, so I'm going to use one out of Hebrews, all right? Now, you've got to realize, who was the the book of Hebrews written to? Huh? (laughs) Pretty obvious, right? It was written to the Hebrews, right? It was written to those, uh, we like to say Christian Hebrews, but it was written to the Christian Hebrews so that they understand the transition that God made between the Old Testament, their old laws, and the new laws. So it was all given to them. And so when Jeremiah was talking, he was talking back to the Jewish people about what was going to be happening. He says, and verse 3 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. It's mentioned again in Hebrews ten, sixteen through 18. This is the covenant that I make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. Not the written law. But it is the law that has been around before the law. And that is the good things of God, the good things that God wants us to do. Because realize that there was a time from Adam to Moses that there was no law. What did they live by? They lived by their conscience, right? Knowing right and wrong. When Adam left the garden, he'd been he'd been told God, but he had to live by something, and he lived by the conscience that was inside of him, of what right and wrong was. He knew what right and wrong was. He knew what they are. I ask prisoners all the time when we go into jail. I said, "How many of you knew when you did what you did to get you put in this place? How many did you know it was wrong?" And every one of them will raise their hand because they knew they were wrong. Right? So <clears throat> we know right and wrong. The problem is we. We like the other side. But anyway, okay. But now it's the, law, the law and the good things of God are written in our hearts, and in their minds I will write them. What? So that means in the day of Jesus, when Jesus talked about and in our day, now we don't have the written law in the sense of what the Hebrews have, right? We don't have that law. But the same thing that God taught in the Old Testament, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, does not change the way he believes. He didn't change his word <coughs> just because we're in a new generation. He didn't change it. He said, and I will put their laws in their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds to that, their, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Okay? Now, where the remission of these... There is no longer an offering for sin. Now, this is where they get it. They're saying, well, there's there's no longer an offering for sin. Yeah, he was writing it to the Jews. He wanted them to know that there was no offering that they could make that would forgive them of their sins. This law that they were going to have to live by was the law of grace and that God would forgive them. their sins there right but this was added specifically for the Jews but what I want to talk about is their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more okay now we have to go back anytime you interpret scripture you must look at a lot of things but one thing you need to make sure is you got to make sure it's grammatically sound you got to make sure it's contextually sound and you got to make sure it's historically sound okay they got to fall into those plus there's a lot of other rules but that's the three main rules right so we have to look at when this past, present, when all of these sins were forgiven, okay, and when were the, all of these sins forgiven? Past, present, future. Grace does does grace does forgive all sins. We understand that, right? Why? Because every sin on earth, past, present, and future, have been forgiven by God, correct? By Jesus Christ, right? They, they've all been forgiven, no doubt about it. Okay, past. We've got to look at it historically. When does this all happen? At crucifixion, it all happened, right? So past are those that had come before Jesus. Present were those that were in that period of time in transition between the old covenant and the new covenant. That's the present time that Jesus was. And future was those who would come after Jesus had died. That's you and me. Okay? So, yes. Good news, grace, he died for all our sins, past, present, and future. I'm glad that he did, and and I'm glad that he doesn't remember my sins anymore. I am glad for that. That is grace, that he won't remember my sins anymore. I tell people there's no way that you can change your past. The only person who can change what happened in your past, spiritually, is you. Your sins is Jesus Christ. When he forgives you by grace, you're forgiven, and he says, "I will remember them no more." And the, the problem that we have a lot of times with people who 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 don't understand the real grace is the fact that when they when they when they make a sin, they fall. In, let's just say that a guy, uh, stole the guy stole a pen. This day, he accepted Jesus Christ, and God forgave him for stealing that pen. Then he goes over here the next day, and he goes and he steals a pen. Satan says, you haven't changed. You did the same thing that you did before you got saved. And then the man says, I thought I had changed, but Jesus, I, I don't want to ask you to forgive me because I told you I loved you here and I asked you to forgive me. Now I'm going to have to ask you to forgive me again. We don't realize that when we just stole that pen that day, he didn't remember that day we stole the pen. He forgot that one. Because you asked him to forgive you. He said, I forget that and never to remember it again. So he doesn't remember the one that you did back here. And every time you repent, he doesn't forgive the one that's back there, right? Because God says, but the thing about it is we people don't realize that is part of grace, okay? That doesn't mean that we, we purposely go out to sin. But he says he, we do realize that if we repent, God will forgive us, right? That's the repentant message. Sin, a lot of people, I, I ask people what sin is. I've got a lot of answers to what sin is. But sin is, if this is a target, the Word of God, and you were to throw a dart at it and miss it, that's sin. In other words, if it's covered in this book and you don't live up to it, it's a sin. That's pretty simple. Now, people say, that's a big book to live up to. It's even a bigger book if you never read it. (laughs) Okay? But the thing about it, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin to clean it up out of your life. I've had people come up and ask me, ask me, say, but Graham, is it wrong to drink coffee? I do what Jesus did. I said, why, do you ask, why are you asking me if it's okay to drink coffee? Has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about that? And they'll say, well, uh, well, you know, I drink a lot of coffee, and I was just thinking about it. I said, oh, has even the Spirit's been telling you that you shouldn't be drinking so much coffee. Well, it, well I said, oh, okay. So what you really are asking me, Brother Graham, would you please put a stamp of approval on my drinking of coffee so that I can drink it, and when I get to heaven, I can blame it on you? You want me to overturn the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, but I'm not here to overturn the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's wrong to drink coffee, but if the Holy Spirit tells you to quit drinking coffee, you better quit drinking coffee. Okay? It's not necessarily what what you're doing may be wrong, but it may be something that God wants you to give up for Him. For Him that you do it. Right? So. Oh, Lord. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. So. What I'm trying to say is what they're saying is is when, 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 when salvation takes place, all of these sins are forgiven because of the Scripture saying that He'll remember your sins no more. How can you forgive a sin that you never committed? How can you be forgiven for something that you never did? Okay? So the thing about it is we, why would we have an advocate with the Father, make an intercession for us, if there's no reason to intercede because everything is covered. Okay? Now, I'm preaching to the choir with most of you out here. But there are this is beginning to creep. And I'm beginning to see it in churches. I'm beginning to see people. I call it this. They're beginning to step out and beginning to test if they can get just a little bit back in the world and it be okay. Can I test it? I'm telling you that every time you test that water into the world, he said, separate yourself from the world and do it to me. The more you hang on to the world, the less you can give to God. I'm not going to talk about sanctification. I'm not talking about holiness tonight because that's another subject altogether. And I may, if opportunity comes sometime, I might do that. But I want to look at the fact that forgiveness came when we asked the Lord to forgive us of our sins. It didn't happen when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, every sin was taken care of and every sin was covered. But it did not have, it did not take effect on my life, my sins and my life until I confessed those sins and then my slate was wiped clean. That's my past sins have wiped clean. I cannot be cleansed from something I haven't done yet. How can God, how would God do something like that? Because, okay, moving on. But Colossians 2, verse 11 and 14, I want to read them very quick because I've got to move quick on this. In him we were also circumcised uh, with the circumcision made without hands, that's Jesus Christ, by putting off the body of the sins of our flesh. We must put the body <coughs> of sin. Sin must get away from our flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which we are are also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has been made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Past tense, not future. All of your trespasses, okay, things that have trespassed. Not to come to pass, but trespass, okay? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, not supposed to, and he was taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. At this point, our sins are forgiven. Remember the feeling that you had, the joy that you had, knowing that your, that your slate had been wiped clean that through the blood of Jesus Christ, and at this point, you did not want to sin. That was the furthest thing from your mind. Why? My life was changed. And I wanted all I wanted to do was live for Jesus. This is the grace that God gave to us. That's what He gave. Now, taking this scripture and using it for future skin had nothing to do with the sins that we would do after salvation. It had to do with the future sins of after Christ's death. This misunderstanding or error of interpretation has led to the false teaching in the hypergrace grace movement or that revolutionary movement for today. We cannot separate grace from truth. In John chapter 1, verse 14, I've got to go quick, okay? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory and the glory of the begotten Son of the Father. The begotten Son of the Father, Jesus Christ, right? Full of grace. That means, if you want to use the word unmerited favor, I don't think it applies. You mean to tell me Jesus had to have unmerited favor with God? It was a special love. It was a special favor that he had. It was something that he had with God. But it said that he was full of grace himself. Without measure, he was full. You, can't put it, you couldn't put any more grace in God. That's the reason why he has so much grace to give. Is because he has so much of it. But it says, and truth. God was full of grace and he was full of truth. They come together. We see he's full of grace here. Now, verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred by me, and he... Was before me, and of his fullness, and of his fullness, fullness of what? All that he had, right? This abundance we have all received of this abundance, right? And grace for grace. And if you want to look at that in amplified, it kind of a, it gives it a little bit different. It says, "For out of his fullness or abundance, we have received. All had a share. We all have a share, and we were all supplied with." One grace after another grace, a spiritual blessings upon spiritual blessings, and favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. That's a lot of grace. That's a lot of favor, right? It's there. Now, for this law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We had the law was given to Moses, but not just grace. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now grace is a gift from God. Grace is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, I just got through saying that we're not saved by works. No, all the good that you can do cannot save you because you have to have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to you to be saved. But there's nothing wrong with good works. It just doesn't get you saved. <laughs> okay? It doesn't get you saved. But... It doesn't get you saved, but it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what reason? For good works. So good works is what we're supposed to be doing, not sinning. We've been created a new person, a new being created in Christ, right? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we need to walk in good works, not walk in sin. Next subject is this. Grace is a teacher. Well, that's not unmerited favor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Grace is unmerited favor. Well, grace is a teacher. Titus 2. Again, in verse 11, for the grace of God, okay, for what? Grace of God that brings what? Salvation has appeared to all men. All men have seen salvation because of grace. doesn't mean all men are going to accept him, even though some of these teachings of the grace move believes that at some point everybody's going to get saved. Don't know where they get that one, but they teach that one too, but we're not talking about that tonight, Okay. But it says, by all men, verse 12, teaching us, okay, grace is teaching us. Grace is going to teach us that denying, oh, oh, denying ungodliness. What's ungodliness? Everything that's not godly. What is God? He's holy. Romans teach us that we are you know holy, be acceptable. Romans twelve, that we accept you know reasonable service, all this kind of stuff. We're all supposed to be there. This great, we're supposed to be live a life acceptable to the Lord. He says denying ungodliness. Does this sound like God is saying just continue with your sin, and that's okay? Sin is ungodliness. This is godliness. Not my godliness. Don't get mad at me. It's God's godliness. Okay. It's teaching us dying ungodliness and worldly lust. The New Grace Movement. LBGT. QRST. Whatever. It's all okay. Why? God don't care about stuff like that because grace. But it tells men the Word of God. He gave me Grace. He gave me truth, but even forget the truth, grace teaches me. Grace teaches me. Not the Word of God, not the truth, if we want to call it truth, separately from it. But grace itself says, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's truth of God's Word, folks. That's the truth. Man's truth will not get you to heaven. God's truth is the only way to get there. Living what God said to do. We must be smart in what we believe and what we accept. I'm sure that you're going to have friends of yours that's going to come and they're going to want to call you a legalist because you believe in this old law stuff. We couldn't live by that. God knew we couldn't live by that. That's the reason He gave us grace. Listen, folks, if Jesus Christ came and died on a cross so that you can continue to live the same life that you lived before he died on the cross, why in the fool did he come and die? It makes Christ's death worthless. It makes life worthless. If he didn't die for a reason, then go your way and don't accept him. But if you're going to accept Jesus Christ, accept what he died for. He died that your sins would be forgiven. Yes, but he also said that you must deny in godliness, worldly lust. You must live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. In what age? In this one. The one that we're living in right now, right? Moving on down in Titus, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. What's he saying? (laughs) Redeem us, Christ, redeem us from every lawless deed. How do you redeem something? How do you redeem a coupon? Do you go to the store and tell them that you left it at home? If you're going to redeem something, you have to have it at time of purchase, right? Do you have any coupons? Yes, I'll give you a coupon, right? Redeem. You don't redeem something right there, right? To redeem us from every lawless deed must be when we need the redemption, we put the coupon in. There's no need to take a coupon to the grocery store for a pack of bacon if all you're buying is bread. Okay? Okay? You redeem, keep, you redeem something for what you need at the time that you need it, not back here for something's going to happen up there. That's like me going to the grocery store, giving the lady, say, "Here's a coupon for bacon. I'll be back in three weeks." Doesn't happen, okay? Sorry. All right. He said, "Redeem it and purify us to become a special people." Now. Special people means that you're not like you used to be. You're not like that old world that you were. Now you're special people, right? Special people, zealous, just excited people. For what? Good works. That's not sin, folks. That's not sin, okay? And going down to Titus chapter, verse 15. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. In other words, what he just got through saying, all of these things that we're supposed to do, he said... For me to teach you, to exhort you, which means to correct you in what needs to be corrected, and to rebuke against what's out there. So I'm trying to tell you, God said for us to teach this and to to correct what we hear out there that's wrong and to rebuke those that do it. That's what he said. And to do it with what? All authority. Okay? Now, i got to move quick. Okay? Grace reigns. Through righteousness. now wait a minute, I thought grace was just out there. Romans five verse 19. For as by one's man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one's man's obedience, many uh, will be made righteous. Moreover, the law uh, entered that the offense might be abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin was, grace was more. So there's all this sin, but grace was bigger. So grace abounded more than sin, right? This is what we're looking at. We've got sin it's abounded more, right? So that sin reigned to death, okay? Sin brings death. Even so, grace might reign. Grace must reign. How can something reign? Reign means to keep it going right right so grace so that grace might reign through righteousness oh wait a minute wait a minute, wait a minute righteousness you mean for grace to be a, able to continue there must be righteousness oh no pastor you don't understand I am the righteousness of God we are God made you something. It's your responsibility to keep it. (laughs) Right? God made us righteous. He also justified us. Okay? A lot of things he did. But we must keep them. We must stay at that point. Right? But grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then a lot of people say, well, I'm not sure about it. We'll go on down in chapter 6 because it it keeps going in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, so that grace may abound? He just got through saying that sin was here and grace already abounded. So why would I want to make sin go more sins, just so grace can more abound? That's not what he he said. So should we sin, so that grace, so that God's grace can be in my life? I'm like God. I'm gonna go out and sin because if I go out here and sin, what am I do My sin? Oh God, the grace is oh so much more grace. Oh, Lord, let me go out here and commit adultery. Oh, but that was a big one, God. Oh, pour on your grace. I don't think that's what God intended, okay? All right? And he's, you know, Paul said this, right? So he's writing this, and he says, so shall we go out and sin so that grace can abound, so that God can just pour out more grace, so he can see past all of my sins? He said, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin when we accepted him live any longer in sin? Uh Uh-oh. Hopefully. Okay. Time's up. Okay. Let me just conclude. Time's running out, so maybe I'll have a chance to finish this sometime. But I think that I've covered the main thrust of what they're trying to say, and all of you are probably out there saying, "You know, program, we already knew this. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. I hope you learned something through it. I hope the Holy Spirit gave you something, right? through it. But we must know and understand, this is most important, that sin is destructive to our lives. It's destructive. In other words, every sin that's committed does something to hurt you. Okay? Sins committed has an effect on our lives and with a belief that it's okay to commit sin because we are under grace and can be forgiven does not give us a license to sin. Okay? Now I want to leave this example with you. I think it's good, but... It's kind of a personal thing, but I think it's it's good. I'm going to read it so I get it right. Why would you go around every day cutting yourself, causing yourself great pain, just because you know that it'll heal? I'm going to cut myself all day today just because I know that it'll heal. I'm going to sin all day because I know God's grace will heal me. When I was playing football many years ago, I got cuts, bruises, strained muscles, torn ligaments, concussions, and every one of them hurt when they happened. They all had effects on me and were painful, and some still bother me today. Did I want to get hurt? No. But I was doing something I enjoyed And I live with the pain because I enjoyed it so much. In our Christian lives, we do things that we enjoy so much doing. But they're not good for us. They're sin. And sin hurts. You are enduring the pain in your life for just a temporary moment of what you think is good that can affect you now and some of those enjoyments for a moment will affect you the rest of your life. These enjoyments are sin. Sin hurts us and we have, and we have to recover. Sins have consequences and none of them are good. Sin has consequences. None of them are good. God's grace allows us to recover from sin. But it doesn't mean that it won't affect us and that we should continue in the sin. If you're listening out there tonight to this message and you've got sin in your life and you're sinning every day, you just go do it because you know and you know it's a sin but you do it because someone told you that grace covers that sin without repentance. I hope this message has changed your mind. And that you will repent and clean the sin up in your life. And accept God's true grace for you. Father, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet a light unto our path. God, I pray that those that heard this message tonight, they'll study. I hope that they go study trying to prove me wrong. Because God, your word, grace is great. It is one of the greatest things that you ever gave us. God, we couldn't even, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for your grace. But God, let us learn to live in that realm of grace. To reign in righteousness. To live in the ungodliness. Lord, those that are struggling, didn't understand grace. Grace is a is a magnificent thing to have, Lord. and Let them know that they're a child of God. And that they're going to make it. They're going to make mistakes. All they have to do is ask you to forgive them, Lord. Just ask for repentance. We'll sin. Anybody who says they don't sin, I need to see you. Because if you say you didn't, you probably just sinned. But Lord, I pray right now that this Word speaks to their hearts, speaks to their lives. If there's any of you out there right now that does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you right now to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Don't just say, Jesus, come into my life. Say, Jesus, come into my life and be the Lord of my life. When you ask Jesus to become your Lord, He's the one who's in control. Not you. But He's in control. Are you the Lord of your life? Or is Jesus the Lord of your life? You pray the prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Father, I accept You into my life to be the Lord of my life. And to forgive me of all of my sins. I pledge my life to live according to your word. Not what man says, but what your word says. I thank you, Lord, that if I prayed this prayer from the bottom of my heart, I am saved. I thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. I thank you for the blood that you shed on Calvary's cross. For your body that was given for me. That I might have life and have that life more abundantly. Thank you, Lord, for saving me tonight. I thank you in Jesus' name. May God bless you, keep you, and always be with you. In Jesus' name. God bless you.